really? for, for a year. Well, that year turned into three and a half years. And so while I was there working five jobs, including um, uh, adjusting people's ski boots in the ski shop, uh, working in a restaurant at night, um, I figured I better keep my skills sharp, writing and all of that stuff, because that's the one thing I will say. Writing is important. I don't care what you're doing. Um, you have to write and you have to be able to communicate, right? And mm-hmm. so um, I, I think that is the best advice I'd give everyone. Read and write and keep your writing as sharp as you can. Um, because whether it's social media um, or whether you're writing a press release or whether you're writing talking points for someone, you have to know how to speak. Um, so anyway, I, I digress. Um, but so I went to, to work in a ski resort town in Crested Butte, and I thought, you know, I better do something so that at the end of this, I can, when I'm looking for a job, I've got something to show for it. So I basically started the sports page of the local little Crested Butte paper. Really? Um, yes. So I would find things. Obviously, we used to have the extreme skiing competition there, so I'd do that, and I'd find little things to cover. And then I fancied myself a columnist. <laughs> I'll never forget, and this is dating me, this is uh, Charlie Ward was coming out and trying to decide which sport he was going to play. So I wrote that he should be uh, a football player. And I remember my dad's like, what in the world? Why would he be a football player? Like, he should, you know what I mean? And I'm like, well, that was my first taste of writing a column and having someone not agree with me. My father, <laughs> is, dad, there yeah. any, is there anyone that's going to bring you down to, <laughs> to earth than your dad yeah. or your mom? So, but anyway, so when I was ready to go... Um, to go get into the real world. I left Crested Butte, and it was actually very good. Um, it, it also forced me to get out there and hustle and do things, right? I also got some odd jobs writing for, like, the Chamber of Commerce and things like that. So at the end of the day, when I went back, like I said, to the real world, I had something. So um, so I went back to the real world, and I wanted to get in television. So stop me if I'm... Wait, I'm so, so you just say, okay, I'm going to go back and... I'm just going to start try to go to a TV station. Right. Like that simple. Exactly. Okay. That um, sounds tough. Yeah. So, and I didn't have a broadcast degree. I had a, a, a magazine degree. Wow. Um, so, I was like, well, I guess I'll get back. Guess I, so, I went back to Kansas City, where I'm from. I said, I guess I better start calling around to the TV stations. I didn't have a tape, didn't have anything. Wow. So, I called around to the TV stations and got a hold of... Um, a gentleman in uh, the sports department of, of one of the, at that time, they were the number one TV station. And Lynn Dawson was the, uh, the head sports guy. Well, anyway, the producer there um, was just the most amazing man to this day. He is still one of my mentors. He calls and checks in on me. Like, the, one of the other anchors there and I are really good friends. In fact, I just help his daughter um, with an interview she wants to get um, into PR so I helped her kind of talk through as a woman and how you should, you know, conduct yourself and, and some of the things that might come up as she's getting interviewed. So anyway, um, I, don't, I don't remember what I said to him, but I basically talked my way into the sports department wow. and basically said, I'll carry cable for free. In the meantime, I was also writing for the Kansas City Star very poorly, I will say. But the gentleman who was there is also a mentor of mine, and to this day we still talk. Um, and you, you had had your clips from Crested Butte, and you just said, hey, correct. let me let me do some stuff. Correct. I'm from here. And Right. Hmm. They didn't have a position. Again, talked my way into it. Um, covered wow. Jerron Rush. Um, you couldn't really cover Jerron Rush because back then you uh, – he wasn't talking to the media because he was still in high school. Oh. Um, but I would cover local high school sports. 
Um, I'd go in and write my my stories. Um, and so in the meantime, I wanted to, to break into television. So again, talked my way into the sports department there. And so I would go cover uh, the games, right? So go get sound afterwards. So I'd have to go in the locker rooms. Um, so you just have a microphone and a camera or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just... You're like, hey, go get us stuff. Right. So for the Chiefs games, I would go and we'd cover the game. And so then I would, with the photographer, I'd write down like time codes, like touchdown at this time. And then we'd go get sound in the locker rooms. Um, same with same with college, college sports. Um, sometimes we didn't have a camera but uh, to go cover it. But and I'll, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, I remember that um, – Tim Duncan, who was one of my favorite basketball players, they were playing at Mizzou, mm-hmm. and no one would get a camera. Well, there was this old cameraman who no one got along with. Well, I loved him. He was the nicest guy. I said, hey, listen, I know you're off. We don't have a camera, but it's Tim Duncan. You know, can will you go? Let's cover it, and we'll get sound. He's like, yeah. So we go up to the game, and, you know, Tim was, you know, superstar then, Wake Forest, and so... Um, you know, the only reason you went to the game was to get sound from Tim Duncan, right? Waiting around, waiting around. And in, in, in college, you weren't allowed to go in the locker rooms. I don't know if that's the case now. So I'm like, where is everyone? Why am I the only one standing out here? And finally, I looked at my photographer. I'm like, do you think he's in the locker room and everyone's in there getting him? And he's like, well, it looks like it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like, huh. I was like, I was like scared to death. Right. Like what, you know, am I just going to walk in? What if I do and I get in trouble? Like, I, you know, I, I don't. But I'm like, but if he's in there and I don't get the sound, then that's on me. Right. So I said, all right, we're going in. I said, I'll go in first. And if someone stops me, we'll just be like, I'm so sorry. We didn't know. We thought everyone was in here. Sure enough, everyone was in there. Wow. So I was like, gosh, darn. so by this time there's a mob. Well, so I was so mad that I wormed my way to the front, got down on like got down in front of Tim on one knee. I remember I was balancing because I had to get down low enough. And I remember he looked down at me and laughed. But I was like, I just looked up at him and asked a question, got my microphone in there, got out, got the sound, and we left. Wow. But I I was petrified. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I was just like, you know, you got to carry yourself. You got to know what you're doing. And at the end of the day, we got the sound. So back during that time, I mean, not to not to make it sound like yeah. it's ancient times, but when you were doing this and you're going uh, covering the Chiefs or I've whatever, I've been around for a while, Jeff. Well, was, so <laughs> was were women in the locker room um, as accepted as they are now? Did you have any obstacles that way? I wouldn't say there were obstacles. I think it was actually one of the other anchors at the station was a woman, and she was one of the first ones. Um, but I always, you know, it was. Whenever I got these opportunities, I look at it this way. Someone gave me a chance, and the last thing I'm going to do is make them look bad by giving me this chance, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, for my friend John Crumley at the, at the station, the, on, the only thing that would make me feel worse about what I was doing is if I disappointed him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I had to go carry myself in that locker room in a, in a certain way. I was there to get sound, and it's intimidating, Right. You know what I mean? For I remember sure. Jason Whitlock, I, I tell the story all the time. Whitlock said to me one time, because he was at that time a columnist for the Kansas City Star. Um, and he's like, why do you walk in these, your nose is always in the air. And I said, exactly. I have to walk in here like I belong. I have to conduct myself professionally. I have to get my sound and I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not a very friendly place to come. You know what I mean? And it is intimidating. But at the end of the day, I have a job to do. And I'm going to do it the best that I can and do it professionally. And at, at the end of the day, the, the guy who was the head um, 
uh, publicist for the Chiefs was on my resume. You know what I mean? And he was one of those guys that was really hard to get to know. But at the end of the day, you know, again, making those right relationships. And and Bob Moore was certainly someone to this day who um, helped open some doors by just having his name on my resume. Wow. Yeah. So how do you go from that point to PR side or into racing? So that's an interesting question. So I'm at the TV station and I'm at a point at this point, I'm I'm just going to say I wasn't going to make it on air. I, I, you know, I didn't have... I should have gone to broadcast school, right? Um, So at that point, I was at a crossroads. I was producing, and I will say one of the things that I really, really enjoyed, I was allowed to produce a live football show that aired right before Monday Night Football for us. Oh, cool. So I actually was nominated. I'm going to brag on myself a little bit for a local Emmy uh, for it. Um, But it was funny because... I remember one of the shows I had to sit in the booth, and I I am deaf in one ear. So when you're in the booth, you have to have your headphones on so you can hear back from the, you know, because I was out at the stadium, so you could hear back to the the booth at the station, right, and still be talking to your people on air. Well, I couldn't because I can't hear out of one ear. So I had one here, and then I'd have to switch it over here to talk to people. Wow. But I loved it. You got to come up with stories, and um, I think all of this is when I – kind of ramble through all this, it's, I'm going to come back to say that it all led me to be able to do a better uh, job as a PR person, right? So, and I think you talked to some of the, maybe some of the uh, the talent here, um, you know, I always looked at things when they would come to me for story ideas from a producer side, right? Like I would know, you know what, if we got this, this is going to be a good soundbite or this is a good B-roll, because I, I really enjoyed producing. I love coming up with the stories. I love those Like, everyone makes fun of me, but I love to watch pregame. You know what I mean? Yeah, like last week uh, we were at our alumni association watch party, and they didn't have the pregame sound up. And I was like, when we were watching KU, I'm like, can we turn the sound up? Because I (laughs) love to see the stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what gets you excited about sports, I think. You know, you can identify um, with the the athletes, right? Hmm. Um, So anyway, so that was one of the things I did at the TV station. I was at a crossroads. Back to your original question. Again, I digress. Um, and, and so it was like, do you want to go be a producer? Like, you know, I was working at the ABC affiliate, uh, which is obviously associated with ESPN. And my, my mentor is like, do you really want to do that? And I'm like, I don't know. So I took a little one year break and that one year break what I tell you, I'm going to do is kind of interesting. Um, I kind of got lucky. Let's put it that way. Okay. We had a friend, I, I decided I didn't want to, I didn't know that I wanted to do television producing as a career. So I was still kind of looking around. And in the meantime, one of our friends owned a company, which to this day is brilliant. I, I, I really, I think there's something there even today where she managed a bunch of nonprofits. Because if you work for a nonprofit, you are usually a short staff, but she'd come up with this model where you would move people around from the different charities to help with uh, the other charities events. If that I makes see. sense, right? So you utilize... So they wouldn't have to go big on staff or something. Correct. Okay. Correct. And so the charity that I was in charge of from, a, um, you know, I wrote grants and I did the newsletter and PR and all that stuff was the ALS Association. And the ALS Association in Kansas City was one um, Kansas City athlete's charity of choice. Think back in the, who is probably the biggest athlete to come out of Kansas City? Um, when I say it, you're going to be like, oh. I don't know. George Brett. Oh, duh. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. it's just so. And now I now I, I think yeah. of George Brett. I think of ALS stuff. 
yep. too. Like yep. you, yeah, I know that. I, yep. That connection sounds familiar. So, um, anyway, so it just so happened to be the year he got elected to the Hall of Fame. Okay. So, and when he did, the city wanted to do something for him, and he had said, I, I want it to benefit a charity. So we did a week of events that were amazing. That was so much fun. Um, and, and one of the big events was a roast of George with, like, Tommy Lasorda, Larry King, Bo Jackson, wow. Chris Berman, and, and Bob Costas were the MCs. And so it wasn't my event to run. We, mm-hmm. we, they hired an outside company, but I helped. And so one of the things I did was help um, Berman and, and Costas with their script and, you know, the setup of what, how we were no going to do it. Um, and I was like, you know what? I really like working with the athletes and talent, right? Like, I came out of that and I said, now I know what I think I should do, right? So so that that's when it hit you, correct. sort of. Like, you're like, I really enjoy the star part of this and helping them correct. do something. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky to meet... Uh, to, to meet a lot of people, but it, at the end of the day, they're just people like us and we all have a job to do, right? Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed, because of all of that experience, okay, well, you know, why don't this talking point works or when we're up here, like, let's sit, you know, these guys here and, and from a production standpoint, let's start with Berman and then get, so I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Enter my mentor at the TV station and the assistant news director that he's friends with had gone to one of the big advertising firms in Kansas City and one of their new clients was Sprint. Oh, okay. And they were getting in racing. And I, was, I remember I was in the middle of all of this stuff um, with, uh, with George Brett and I had an interview and... Um, sorry. <laughs> I remember he asked me, can you handle death? And now it's like, yeah, yeah. This this sounds exciting. In the interview, I, they said, can "Yeah, you can, death? yeah. Do you can do you know?" And I was, I didn't know what he meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, "In travel and all that stuff." And I said, well, "Love to travel." This is, you know, I didn't quite get what he meant. Um, and so I started working with Adam Petty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. And let's just say I grew up a lot. In, in the year that I worked with him. Um, but what I learned is how this sport is a family, mm-hmm. right? And so um, after Adam passed, um, you know, I, I decided I wanted to stay in the sport just because of the people. Like, if you're not happy and you don't work with good people, you don't it, – it's not fun, right? Um, so I made a decision that I wanted to stay in the sport, um, and, uh, you know, amazing people. Again, relationships are 100% key. Uh, well, let, let me back up for a second. Was there, was that a hard decision for you? Or was it like, was it sort of a no-brainer at the time? Like, okay, you know what? Um, this is where I, I need to be. This is where I belong. And, and like you said, the, the people, you're not going to leave the people at that point. Like, right. was that, it, it was just pulling you to, to stay in it? Uh, a little bit. I think, you know, Kyle finished out the year in Adam's car. And so, you know, Kyle asked to, you know, I, I helped finish out the year with Kyle in the car. Um, and so I think after that is when I was like, so what do I want to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so um, an opportunity presented itself to stay in the sport. And 
I decided I, w- I, I wanted, because I was still living in Kansas City at the time. And so I was, it, was ready, it was time for a change, and I would I'd have to move to Charlotte for it. Um, and I thought, well, what? I'm going to just try it. And if I, if I don't like it or it's too hard, then I'll get out of it. 17 years later of working with drivers, um, you know, and, and it was good. And, I, and I've worked with some amazing drivers. I will say, so I, I went to work with Bill Elliott and, and Ray Evernham and, and Ray. That was immediately after After, after Kyle and Adam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tell Cindy sometimes one of my, one of the things I always was intrigued with, my father is a lawyer. And law always intrigued me. In fact, in journalism school, that was a weed-out class, right? It was a class everyone had trouble with. And I remember um, one of my friends, she was straight A's, had the hardest time with it. And I loved that class. Didn't even really have to study for it. Like, my mind just thought that way. And I remember Cindy Elliott was talking about, you know, it would, our sport needs some good agents. You know, and I was, she was like, you know, maybe we should send you to law school. <laughs> And she laughed. She's like, did I really say that? I'm like, yes. And to this day, I'm like, why didn't I? Yeah, like, I, that no is kidding. That is my one regret that, that I didn't um, because I think I could have done, I, you know, my path certainly would have been different, but um, it was interesting. But um, I didn't do it. Um, I, I stayed in PR and, and did that for a long, long time. <laughs> so you were doing Bill Elliott stuff. Mm-hmm. And then how did it come to be? Was Jimmy, Jimmy was next? So uh, Bill retired. Okay. Um, and uh, I will say, working with Ray Evernham back then helped me prepare for the next step. And I <laughs> give, give Ray, <laughs> anyway, so yes, after that, um, Bill retired. And again, do I want to stay in the sport? Mm-hmm. And um, a friend of mine who was doing Jimmy's PR for the first two years was going to come off the road and, and work for Jimmy. And he said, we think you'd be great. And I met with, with people from Lowe's and who became another mentor for me, person that hired me. And I said, listen, here's the deal. You can look at my resume, but at the end of the day, 90% of this job in the sport is the relationship you have with the drivers. Hmm. And they have to trust you that when you go to them and say, I need you to do this AM radio station, or I need you to do this, that there's a reason for it, right? And there's a reason that something's on the schedule and that you've vetted through it and you've talked through it and you give them the tools that they need to succeed on it. So I said, all right, give it a try. We'll see. I, I still was like, this was a point I'm either going to stay in the sport for a while or I'm going to go try something else. So ended up staying with, uh, with Jimmy for 10 years um, and then um, went to work with Clint Boyer to totally. <laughs> but again, I had to learn how each of them are very different. Right. And Bill was very different, right? You know, it, interesting thing, Bill would much, back in the day, would much rather do an interview one-on-one. You know what I mean? We're most of the group session. Correct. He is. You know what I mean? And I once asked him about that, and I think he was just more comfortable that way, right? Mm-hmm. He, and he very much would rather, you know, sit and talk like that, right? That just was more his style. I think big groups were not his thing. Um, other drivers would prefer to just get everyone there together, except for if there's a, you know, if it's a special one-on-one request. But again, yeah. it's knowing that and understanding. Um, what it is that is going to set them up s- to succeed gets you a good interview. So, um, I, I, you know, this is probably an entire other podcast, but can you g- just give us a sense of what it was like during the Jimmy years where, I mean, because you were there for his whole rise in some ways and what, probably were you there for like six of the championships mm-hmm. or something? Yep. So, I mean, that had to be an unreal time in your life experiencing all this and seeing all of it 
firsthand what's going to go down as a legendary period in NASCAR history, I imagine. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – I don't quite know how to answer that question. It, it was it was great. I, I, I will say this, and I don't mean this to sound ungrateful, um, but winning is great. Winning is absolutely the, why we, we are in sports. But I will say – I would go back and work with Adam where I never want to race in a heartbeat. And I, you know, I, I, I tell, I've told Jimmy that, and he knows that. Um, because winning is important, but it's the people that you work with that are important. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I've been lucky, like some of the best. And I don't know how I lucked into that. You know what I mean? Each of them to this day, Kyle Petty is still a dear friend. Jimmy is a dear friend. Clint is a dear friend. I told him, you can tell him a crier. I said, <laughs> might have shed a few tears for him. You know what I mean? Martin winning last year, amazing. Both him and Sherry are, I mean, again, like just when you are surrounded and get to work with good people, what more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. Right? And, and those people take a vest, vested interest and care about you. I, always, I would always tell my family, if something ever happened and I needed to get home, it might not be the driver that I work with, but there's someone in that garage that would get me on their plane and get me home, and you know that. And I think that's the the thing that keeps people. It's a grind. This sport is a grind, and it will tear you down, and it will wear you down sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's also a family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're a little dysfunctional. Um, but at the end of the day, we care about people, and you know we want to make sure that um, that those people are taken care of. Yeah. Right. So, yes, it was certainly amazing to uh, be able to win championships, and I've been lucky to win a few. Um, it also, if I'm a, you know, you meet a lot of people, too, so so that's amazing. Um, but, again, it's like I said, I don't mean to sound like it's not a big deal. I, I have one picture of, and it's not up in a frame now because I just moved to, to Texas, but I have one picture of me uh, with an athlete, and it, um, it was with Buck O'Neill. The, the old Negro League uh, player who mm-hmm. passed away a few years ago, just he was just an amazing, cool guy, right? And of all the people I've been lucky enough to meet, and there's been a few, he's the only one that I have a picture of myself with. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So now if I met Willie Nelson, that picture might be <laughs> up too. <laughs> so you talked about, um, you know, other women might be listening to this and, right. and hoping to – maybe do what you've done someday and sure. quite a path that you've had and so many people you've gotten to meet, like you said. Um, what What's some of your top advice that you would give to somebody who's just trying to make it on uh, their own path? My biggest advice is you have to be professional and you have to carry yourself sometimes uh, or, or carry yourself to a higher standard maybe than, uh, you know, is expected. And that's okay. Right. Like I, you know, one of the the things I was sitting next to a coworker the other day and he heard me speaking to someone and I got off the phone and one of the nicest compliments anyone could ever give me. He's like, I want my daughters to meet you. He's like, because the way you talk to that person, I could tell that they were being disrespectful to you. But the way you held your ground and the way you spoke back to him, I want my daughters to feel empowered that they can do that, too. And I. Of course, anyone that's listening to this and knows me knows I cry. Of course, I cried at work. I'm like, well, thank you. That that there's no higher compliment that you could give me as a woman than to say that. Hmm. You wow. know. So, but it's hard. It's not easy. And there'll be times when you know what I mean. Like I remember uh, 
back when, when I was uh, doing stuff at the TV station, we were covering the Chiefs, we'd be out sometimes, my friends and I, and some of the Chiefs players would be out, and they'd be like, well, let's go over and say hi. I'm like, no, because they are out on their personal time, and they don't need to see me, and I don't need to see them, because when I go in that locker room, they need to know I'm there doing business. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes you want to go, and, and there's time for that, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, when we're here, you know, I think some people, like, uh, in my head, I have to stay, like, for Jimmy, there were always so many things we had to do, right? And when I say sometimes we'd have to be down to the minute, like, you've got seven minutes. Someone mm-hmm. look at me. But at least I, I, I'm getting you seven minutes, right? And, like, in my head, I'd always have to keep things, like, very scheduled, very, you know what I mean? and professional, right? Like, you know, I'd come to you, okay, what are your questions? What do we need to prepare them for so that when you get into the interview, you're getting what you want, right? And Jimmy or whatever driver it is or whomever it is, is um, expressing what he, you know, their their true selves, right? Right. Um, So, again, setting everyone up to succeed. Wow. So... Well, this has been really awesome. Sorry to take so much of your time. but I know. I I'm sorry I rambled, and I'm sorry I cried. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really good. I, I think people are really going to like it. So um, I hope so. <laughs> thank you so much for, for being willing to do this. Well, like I said, I don't think I'm, I'm worthy of a podcast, but if there's, if there's one little girl or high school, college, whatever, or someone who's struggling, um, it, you know, just don't give up. Keep calling. Keep you know. Keep after it. Be professional when you do it. But all it was was me picking up the phone and asking someone to give me a chance. Wow, it's so. powerful. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. All right, everybody. So there you have it. Wow, that was uh, that was an emotional one at times. Uh, really interesting stuff. Powerful stuff at times. I think she has a great message, and she really emphasized several times, um, as she mentioned there in the podcast, that it's really important for her to help other women get their start and lead them in the right direction. So I really do think she'd be open to helping anybody who wants to reach out to her for any additional advice or help beyond just the podcast. Her name on Twitter, if you want to shoot her a tweet, is Christine C 816 and that's Christine with a K. So K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-C-816 is her Twitter name. If anybody was looking to get in touch with her, for any additional advice beyond what she said in the podcast there. Now, you did hear in the podcast I had to give Christine some tissues at one point because she mentioned she is a crier. I actually got those tissues off Amazon.com, thanks to all of you, because if you go to jeffgluck.com slash Amazon, your purchase at no cost to you actually gives me a commission for the website and the podcast. It takes you right to the Amazon homepage and then gives me a credit on Amazon, which I use to buy household items and things that I take to the track, such as a little packet of tissues. No joke. And of course, saving money on that helps me spend money on other things, such as my travel, getting to the races. So if you think of it, before you go on to Amazon next time and start your shopping, just type in the website, jeffgluck.com Amazon, and it should take you right to the Amazon homepage. Coming up on the next edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast, I will be coming to you from Richmond Raceway after Saturday night's cup race there. Not sure which media member I'm going to guilt into asking me to be on the podcast, but hopefully I'll find someone entertaining for you all. As you may have heard on last week's post-race podcast, Jordan Bianchi correctly predicted the percentage of yes votes in the Was It a Good Race poll, saying it was exactly 88%, and he got it right. So good on Jordan for doing that. Anyway, one final thing. I just really enjoy all the feedback 
that you guys send me on Twitter about these episodes. So if you do listen to the episode and you enjoyed it, shoot me a tweet, shoot Christine a tweet, let her know that you listened to it and thought her story was cool. I'm sure she would appreciate it and make her not regret her decision to do this. So (laughs) that would be much appreciated. But anyway, until next time, thanks as always for listening. Talk to you later on the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast.